0: supernatural
1: is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does it. Presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt Falstay.
2: Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz for what is an abbreviated edition of Spooky South Coast. Thank you, Boston Red Sox. At least if you're going to make us sit around and wait to start the program, try to win a game. Uh, We are here to talk with you about the paranormal as we are each and every Saturday night. And tonight should be a really, really interesting show because we actually have been doing this show now for like five or six years. I've like six. We were in our sixth, sixth year of doing the program. And one of the most requested guests that we have is everybody says, bring on a skeptic, bring on a skeptic. And that's kind of uh, an iffy proposition because, you know, m- most skeptics per se are, uh, reluctant to come on this program <laughs> most skeptics don't want to come on and debate people uh, within the paranormal world uh, but we have somebody who's joining us tonight who has no problem doing that and he is a skeptic in the true sense of the word uh, Moniz you want to give us your usual definition of of how you define skeptics I, I know that you think that people who use the term skeptic are, are not misleading
1: exactly. yeah yeah uh, what what you get is somebody like me working in science uh, finding things skeptical. Most skeptics that you see outside that are not really skeptics, they're cynics. And
2: But tonight we have a true skeptic. We have, joining us, Benjamin Radford. He's a research fellow for the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry, the managing editor of Skeptical, skeptical Inquirer Science Magazine, and the author of five books. He has written over 500 articles on various topics, including urban legends, mass hysteria, mysterious creatures, and media criticism. Criticism, sorry. I, See what happens? I have trouble reading (laughs) when I have to wait for the Red Sox. He is a columnist for Discover News, LiveScience.com, and Skeptical Inquirer. Radford has appeared on the Discovery Channel, CNN, National Geographic Television, the Learning Channel, and the Discovery Science Channel, as well as MTV. And he joins us now here on Spooky South Coast. Good evening, Ben. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. Good to be on.
2: Well, and what was the MTV appearance? Were you on remote control?
0: No, I was actually on a, uh, on a show that was sort of a precursor to Mythbusters. It was called The Great, it was called the, the Big Urban Myth Show. And uh, this was uh, a couple years before Mythbusters And uh, they basically did uh, They asked various experts to uh, Either confirm or deny Or, you know, give a sort of middle thumbs up um, For various urban legends and that sort of thing And they had me on for a couple different uh, couple different topics the, the main one I remember was um, The organ snatching urban legend the, the kidney theft one
2: Well, that sounds like way more interesting of a program Than Jersey Shore or The Hills
0: <laughs> It certainly was for me, yes
2: People forget, though, uh, MTV kind of gave birth to this uh, Paranormal Investigation reality show thing with their uh, MTV Fear program.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it actually goes way back. Uh, you're exactly right. A lot of people don't, they, they, they assume that there was nothing really before, uh, you know, the Ghost Hunter guys. and In fact, it was, it was quite a bit.
2: And what are your thoughts, though? Well, let's just get this right out of the way. What are your thoughts on the way that uh, television portrays uh, Paranormal Investigation these days?
0: well um... you know it, it's it's always struck me as being uh... clearly that they're looking for the entertainment value mm-hmm. uh... i see little or no actual science behind these these shows there's little actual investigation and having been on on you know quite a few of these tv shows i'm i'm well aware of the um, the demands that are placed on the producers uh... to you know come up with a good sexy interesting show uh and you know when i do my investigations um you know again i try to take a very uh... science-based um, point of view with it and the fact of the matter is that much of uh the research that I do and the investigation I do isn't terribly sexy it's not terribly camera friendly it's you know researching archives and double and cross-checking references and stuff and so it's not things that really make good TV um but that's i mean that's just that that that's how it's done and so uh I, i'm i'm afraid that um, that almost all the time the sorts of uh, paranormal investigation that you see on TV uh, is uh, pure pseudoscience. There's occasionally some, some science thrown in there, but it's, it's, uh, it's awfully bad.
2: Well, I think that too, part of the problem with it is it is being done for the camera and it is being done for the entertainment value. So even if these groups tried to bring you know, real legitimate science into the investigation, the producers of the show might say, yeah, that's not really going to be good for the program.
0: Yeah, I mean, there, there, I've certainly heard that argument before, um, and I think there is there's some truth to that. But uh, I think that the, the larger issue is that these subjects are inherently interesting. Um, you know, ghosts are cool. Monsters are cool. Crop circles and psychic powers and all these sorts of things, these are inherently fascinating subjects. And so whether you're uh, you know, approaching it from a skeptical point of view or a more believer point of view, I think that there are ways to make these these sorts of uh, cases interesting, and uh, I was I was part of a TV show called "Is It Real" for National Geographic. I was I think I did five or six episodes for them, and to my mind, the "Is It Real" series uh, was really a high model a high watermark. Uh, for documentary TV, because uh, it it was you know it was it was un- unashamedly scientific and, and you know included a lot of skepticism, but it was still an interesting high rated show. So I think that the Is It Real series really proves that you can be skeptical and science based, and also you know get good ratings.
2: Well, let's talk about that term skeptical because uh, I think in the paranormal world, the idea, as we mentioned at the top of the show here, the idea of being a skeptic has kind of gotten a bad rap. Uh, like Matt Moni said, because so many people who claim to be skeptics are actually just cynics. How would you describe being skeptical when it comes to the world of paranormal?
0: Well, the way that I would describe it is simply asking for good evidence before accepting claims. Um, and that's, that's not much more than that. I mean, it's, uh, you know, the, the, the approach that I take is again trying to use science and science based methodologies for examining these things, whether, whatever the given subject is. I mean, essentially, you use the same techniques or I to say I use the same techniques to investigate my my, invest, my my mysteries as for example, a homicide detective would to investigate a homicide or uh, an accountant uh, forensic accountant would do to to do an account investigation so that that 's how I see skepticism my, my, I actually think that the problem is sort of the opposite of that i I found that uh, I actually don 't think that the 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 name skepticism uh is that useful or skeptic is that useful because so many people claim to be skeptics in fact uh when i was researching uh chapter 4 from my book scientific paranormal investigation i basically the whole chapter is talking about the taps guys the the ghost hunter crew mm-hmm. and it was interesting when i was when i was researching them is that and i, I didn't really fully realize this until i read uh one of their books is that they call themselves skeptics um they they say several times that we're skeptical we use science and um, <laughs> they, they, they don't use any sort of science or skepticism that I'm aware of. Uh, so I would, I, I think that if anything, the, uh, the name skeptic has, um has gotten far too diluted because, again, I've, I've talked with many ghost hunters and Bigfoot investigators who say, oh yes, I'm very, very skeptical. And when, when I talk to them, it's clear that they're, they are not, they're not skeptical and they're certainly not using skepticism the way that, the way that I do.
2: Well, yeah, I think what it is is they're not looking at skepticism, uh, as a school of thought, but they're instead using it as a defensive barrier, uh, kind of, you know, like we would be skeptical of something, you know, kind of like a raised eyebrow. Sure. Uh, that, I mean, I don't think it goes beyond that to a lot of people who are claiming to be skeptics. It doesn't, it just, just goes about as far as not taking it at face value right and by skeptical they mean well i i want a little bit more information but i'm still going to say that it's paranormal no matter what
0: right and, and to me that's not skepticism at all i mean when i when i do my investigations i don't go into trying to debunk i mean i i'm not a debunker i do not claim to be debunker in fact i don't really like that 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 phrase i, I don't think it, it's meaningful and certainly not scientific mm-hmm. uh you know science follow the evidence and if the answer is that this is in fact a ghost or this is in fact bigfoot or you know this person actually is bending you know spoons with his head with his, with his mind then then that's fine that's where science takes you um... so you know i don't go into uh, a given investigation or case trying to prove or disprove i go into trying to understand what the hell's going on and if the answer is that there is a, a rational scientific explanation then, then i'll do my best to find it and if the answer is that there is no, <laughs> there, the, the, if the answer is there. In fact, is a ghost there? Then, then that's great. That's, I'm all for it.
2: And to just to be clear, you don't believe that you, you don't disbelieve in the idea of ghosts. You're not saying that they can
0: exist. No, of course not. Um uh you know, that's that's not scientific. I I don't, you know, I've never said for example that Bigfoot doesn't exist. I've never said that ghosts cannot exist. I have said that in in my experience and in my research which I've been doing for 10 or 12 years now, uh I have not found good compelling hard evidence of these things. Uh, but that's not to say that next month or next year or, or you know some point in the future we may not have good hard evidence. And so, you know, I, I approach it from trying to say, you know, what, what, what is the evidence? You know, how how are people collecting the evidence, and how do we analyze it? Not that this is ridiculous. I mean, you know, in the investigations that I do, if I if I were absolutely convinced that these things didn't exist, I mean, if I if I knew for certain that big that Bigfoot didn't exist or ghosts didn't exist, I wouldn't waste my time. Um, I, have, I have better things to do with my time. Or, for example, my, my, my new my new book uh, tracking the chupacabra. I spent five years researching this. Um, if if I knew from the outset, well, this is ridiculous. The, the chupacabra cannot possibly be real. Why would I Why would I waste all the time and, and energy that I did? I mean I, I i want I want the answer. And again, wherever the, wherever the edi- evidence leads, is where I'm happy to go.
2: Well, we'll talk about the Chupacabra coming up in the next hour. We do have to take a break for the news. I know I hate these Red Sox games because as soon as the conversation gets rolling, you know it's time to take a news break. But we Damn are required. <laughs> At least if they won, it would have been worth it. But <laughs> so uh, we're going to take a break for the news. When we come back, we'll talk about Chupacabra. We'll talk about. I want to get into exactly how you investigate the paranormal scientifically and see if it's how it's different from what a lot of the people that we know in the field do as well. And uh, we'll also take your calls five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. 1-877-996-1420. Email SpookyCrew at spooky south dot com, or you can jump in the chat room on spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com. So uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back with more with our guest tonight, Ben Radford. Go to his website, RadfordBooks.com, during the break, and check out some of his titles. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. You're a coward. You've got
1: nothing to be afraid of. Step aside, I'll show you. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. Oh my! Oh, with me!
2: Alright, welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz talking about the paranormal, and tonight our guest is Benjamin Radford. He is a research fellow for the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry and the managing editor of Skeptical Inquirer Science Magazine. He's also the author of five books, including the latest one, Tracking Tracking the Chupacabra, uh, as well as Lake Monster Mysteries, Media Mythmakers, Hoaxes, Myths, and Manias, and Scientific Paranormal Investigation. And they are all available on his website, RadfordBooks.com, which is linked up with SpookySouthCoast.com. And we've got all, all of his books in the Spooky store there as well, if you want to pick them up. And, uh, we were talking before the break, Ben, about, uh, the Chupacabra a little bit and mm-hmm. you, how you spent five years investigating it to put this book together. Uh, how do you spend five years investigating something that nobody can seem to <laughs> get their hands on?
0: <laughs> well, that, that's a great question. And, uh, basically, uh, what I found was that, um, that it all depends on which version of the chupacabra you're looking at. Uh, there's actually two main versions. There's the original version that, that appeared in, uh, in 1995 in Puerto Rico, which is a bipedal, spiky-backed, alien-type monster with long, thin arms and legs. Uh, and uh, that was the one that sort of is, is the best-known sort of artistic depiction. And that was cited for a, a period of about three or four years um, until around 2000, 2001 or so. And then it sort of faded away. And then a, a second type of chupacabra emerged uh, around uh, 2005. And this, in this particular case, you did have bodies. You did have you did have hard evidence. And um, and so there were uh, a, a series of um, about half dozen or so uh, hairless or nearly hairless quadrupeds, uh, canids, basically uh, animals that that the, were essentially looked like dogs or coyotes or foxes. And so that was basically where I started was um was looking at uh at at the uh the hard evidence, you know, where where we have a dead body then we can you know, we can apply scientific uh, methodologies and forensics to them. Uh and so I began by looking at the the DNA tests 'cause you know there were a variety of DNA tests done on, on various chupacabras that were found in Cuero, Texas and um Blanco, Texas and Elmendorf, Texas as well. Uh, so that 's sort of where I started was you know going going to the the, the, the hard uh, forensic uh, sort of csi type type evidence, and then getting more into the, the background of it, the history and, and the folklore behind it
2: well one of the things that 's uh, fascinated me about chupacabra at least in the uh, limited uh, research that i 've done into it is that you know you hear a lot of people in the paranormal world we talk about investigating the Chupacabra and they talk about how it's you know this mythological creature that's been around for so many years but the reports are really only within the last 20 years right?
0: Yeah in fact uh, the reports only date back to 1995 um, (laughs) which is which is which makes the, the chupacabra all the more unusual, uh, and that's one of the reasons that I was really attracted to it. Was you know if you look at Bigfoot, for example, or the Loch Ness Monster, Mothman—well, um, certainly the first two—the uh, stories about them date back decades. Uh, some would argue hundreds of years, if you want to sort of include Native American myths and stories in that. Mm-hmm. But in the case of the chupacabra, um, as far as anybody can tell, and I've I've done you know quite a bit of research on it, uh, it essentially did not exist prior to 1995. Um, so it, it just emerged, sort of popped into the world, like all of a sudden in, uh, in, August, in August of 95. And, and, again, that, that sort of made the, the creature all the more strange. And then the other aspect, of course, is that um, it's a vampire. Uh, so unlike Bigfoot or unlike the Loch Ness Monster, uh, it sucks blood. And so that, that was another sort of intriguing twist of the whole story.
2: So all these, you know, supposed stories that we hear about how it comes from folklore, there's, there's nothing in uh, Puerto Rican or, or, or Hispanic folklore that mentions any similar creature?
0: There is not, um, and I've, I've looked, and in fact, I've, I even offered a reward. I offered a $250 reward um, uh, just a, a couple weeks back on Mundo website for anybody that could could find a, a printed published reference to a chupacabra, uh, meaning a vampire beast chupacabra. There, there, there actually is a, a version of chupacabra that's uh, a bird. A, it's a bird that that allegedly sucks uh, milk out of goats, not blood. Uh, but in terms of you know an actual vampire beast called the chupacabra, um, there's there's no evidence at all that that predates um, 1995. Uh, but you know in in my book, what I basically do is I, I draw upon uh, the, the the global uh, folklore behind uh, vampires, and so I, I sort of trace it back to European vampires, Latin American vampires, even African vampires. Uh, and in in that in that context, the Chupacabra actually fits very well uh, as a sort of a, a a very modern, updated version of the um, of the European vampire.
1: What about gargoyles? What
0: about gargoyles?
1: Uh, they're they're a close representation. Um, in what way? Uh, just the the original nineteen ninety five description. A lot of early gargoyles had the same type of lizard-like, uh, bipedal, flying uh, type of creature.
0: Well, the, the main distinction the main dis- dis- characteristic of the chupacabra is the, the spikes on the back, and I'm not, I'm not aware of many um, representations of gargoyles, certainly that were in European churches, that had the spikes on the back.
1: Not spike spikes, but, yeah, they had bony uh, protrusions on their backs well, quite I mean, regu- it, regularly.
2: It does seem like it's a, a prototypical... Uh, depiction of what you would think a scary, you know, vampire beast would look like. I mean, right. it's, a, it's a little bit smaller than I'd expect it to be uh, in my nightmares.
0: Right. Well, that's that's the other interesting thing is that is that uh, the uh, the chupacabra. Uh, if you if you go back and look at the original reports, and one in one particular original report uh, uh, that was um, that was given by a woman named Madeline Tolentino, of Canovanas, Puerto Rico, in, in August of ninety five, uh, she gave a very very descriptive, detailed um, account of of what what she said it looked like. Uh, as, you know, in fact, when I w- when I I, w- I traveled to Puerto Rico to interview her uh, for the book. And later on in her in her 2010 interview, she told me that uh, it was actually only about three feet tall, uh, which is somewhat smaller than most people would sort of assume that the chupacabra might look like. But uh, but yeah, it's it's it's, uh, it's fascinating, and, and especially you know, sort of a midget dwarf gargoyle thingy.
2: Now there was an interesting question that popped up in the chat room on SpookySouthCoast dot com's uh, Spooky TV page, and. It it does make you think a little bit, and I don't know if you can answer this, but what's the timeline between when these reports first happened in August of 95 and the episode on the Chupacabra that aired on the X-Files? And were there any increased uh, reportings or sightings after that episode aired?
0: Uh, I can answer that, in fact. Um, I I mentioned the X-Files episode in the book, uh, and as far as I could tell, I I actually traced it back, uh, given the the typical... um, uh, production uh, timeline for for most TV shows, uh, as far as I could tell, that episode was written within about six or nine months of the original uh, Chupacabra furor in Puerto Rico. Uh, again, being August and September, and going into December and all that um, in in '95. And so, uh, as far as I can tell, it was written uh, within a few months of it being oh, like oh my God, here's the here's the new creature, uh, and then they scripted that and then put that in there. Uh certainly the one of the most interesting parts about the chupacabra is how much it is a product of the mass media. Um and uh you can actually draw I, I in the book I talk about how there are a couple leaps that it made. Not not physical leaps, but figurative leaps between and some physical leaps as well. Mm-hmm. Um but, uh... in how it sort of became a, a, the world's third best known monster in the world after after Bigfoot and Nessie. Um and one of them was um that uh the the original description was uh was drawn out by a, a UFO researcher by the name of Jorge Martin uh who then put it on the internet and so uh it was essentially went viral um, in uh, in 95 96 uh the second thing that happened was that uh the uh, a TV show called Cristina which is sort of like the the Spanish language version of Oprah uh it's very popular in Latin American Spanish speaking areas Christina did an episode on the Chupacabra and almost immediately at, right after that episode aired uh people were suddenly reporting the Chupacabra in Spanish speaking areas all around the world um primarily in places like um uh, Nicaragua Mexico and parts of uh of Florida for example so there's oh you could you can draw a very strong parallel between the uh, the 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 publication and the, the spreading of, of the, the idea of the chupacabra and subsequent reports.
2: Well, that's another thing that we, we'd love to talk with you about and we could do a whole episode on, and that's the uh, media perpetuation of these myths. And in some ways they create these myths, and in some ways they just pick up the ball and run with it, and then you get the increased reports based on, you know, the fact that it's appearing in newspapers and on television shows. Uh, and it's interesting that you say that it's the number three most recognized uh, creature behind Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster because it really is that media attention that's been paid to it that created that. It's not, you know, reports around the world. It's not, uh, you know, fifty years of sightings that have led to that popularity. It's basically just media coverage of it.
0: You're exactly right, and in fact, uh, one of the one of the contributions I made in terms of trying to understand the original Puerto Rican Chupacabra uh, was I went back and I, I looked at the the news coverage, and what you find is that. The original coverage in Puerto Rico in in uh, in late ninety five and early ninety six, particularly uh, most of the stories, and in fact even earlier, but bu- this is before they actually called it the Chupacabra and had a had a, had a face to it. Um, most of these stories were spread by rumors and gossip and uh, tabloids. There is a, a very famous um, tabloid newspaper called El Vocero in Puerto Rico, and uh, not all the stories of Chupacabra appeared there, but, but the majority of them did. And of course, this is sort of our version of you know National Enquirer or Weekly World News, um, but it's also mixed in with real murders and homicides and sort of you know true celebrity stories. So it wasn't it wasn't treated at the time as being sort of like oh here's a Bigfoot and Elvis sighting. This was treated as very much a, a real menace uh, and, and was taken very seriously in many places. Um, there, I, in, the, in my book, I talk about. Uh, there were actually armed mobs um, that were armed with machetes and, and guns and knives and sticks that would uh, that would be searching the night, uh, looking for the chupacabra to, to kill it.
2: Well, you mentioned uh, the fact that with this, this second wave of chupacabra, it, that there has been bodies associated with it. And what has been the media coverage of, of the findings of those? Because... I would guess that, you know, they're pretty easy to debunk as being, uh, sorry to use that word, but they're pretty easy to uh, explain away as being some other type of creature.
0: Well, yeah, it's interesting because what happened was, was that the, for the people who believed in the chupacabra originally, um, there, there was there was a, a growing frustration because uh, people were, were having chupacabra sightings and people were finding dead animals that they believed had been drained of blood, typically goats. Of course, chupacabra means goat sucker in Spanish, but not just goats, there would also be cattle and, and uh, uh, domestic pets and things like that and chickens and whatnot. Um, but the, nobody had ever found any heart. Evidence and so, um, so by by uh, say you know two thousand four two thousand five people are starting to say well what what the hell is going on here? And this, there seems to be a real blood sucking vampire vampire creature somewhere around here, but but we're not finding any hard evidence. And then uh, and then uh, then when you started seeing the, the sort of type two or Texas chupacabras emerging, uh, in in many ways that was a mixed blessing uh, for the chupacabra believers because on one hand you finally had evidence you finally had a dead body. It wasn't just, you know, it wasn't just, you know, glimpses of things. It wasn't just, eyewitness reports. not they're actually, they're, there's a weird, hairless, dead animal right in front of me. Um, so that sort of boosted the, the idea of the chupacabra. But it was also a double-edged sword because, uh, as you pointed out, um, when you do have uh, hard evidence, um, you have, a, a, you know, a, either a living or a recently deceased creature, uh, you can do DNA tests on it. And when, when the when those tests came back, uh, almost invariably, they came back being either uh, dogs or coyotes, uh, with an occasional raccoon thrown in. Um, and of course, uh, those those are by definition not chupacabras. Uh, although I should add that the most famous chupacabra, the one that was found in 2007 in Quero, Texas, by a woman named Phyllis Canyon, uh, she she did the DNA test, and she and that, that did come back uh, coyote. And she at first disputed that and then she later agreed it. And so but but it's important to realize she still believes that she has the chupacabra. That is, uh Phyllis Canyon and the most famous, you know, chupacabra, she believed that the chupacabra is a coyote mixed with wolf.
2: So you're telling me that the chupacabra that I've seen with my own eyes that I paid fifty cents to get into a tent to see was really nothing more than just a, a dead coyote?
0: Uh, I'm not sure which one you paid 50 cents for. I don't know, the, I do
2: just was at the, uh, at the fair. I can tell you
0: the one that I paid 50 cents for, and that was, uh, that was a pretty good made, uh, pretty, pretty good gap at the, at uh, the county fair.
2: It was, uh, it was the same, same tent where I saw the two-headed cow that literally somebody just glued a, a dead cow's head onto a living cow.
0: Well, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> there, there you go, you know, so it's, a, you get what you pay for.
2: Yeah. And you know, when you're only paying 50 cents for something that should legitimately cost 6 or 7 dollars in today, you know, in today's economy.
0: Or well, exactly right. Yeah, free, I mean, free yeah.
2: prices should be going up too. I don't know why they haven't.
0: That's what I think.
2: So, <laughs> well, when you're talking about Chupacabra, though, you're talking about just another one of these uh you know, these mythical creatures, another one of these things that are kind of beyond the veil that we can't quite get to uh with our Modern capabilities that it seems like, uh, but you do use scientific methods in your investigation. Uh, can you just describe for us briefly exactly what that means?
0: Uh, you mean uh, in the case of chupacabra specifically, yeah, or just, just in general? In, just
2: in general. To to, I mean, what's the difference between the way you might investigate, say, uh, a ghost report, and uh, you know, you've de- uh, I don't want to say debunked
0: <laughs> I mean, Well, no, I mean, I, I no, it, it's a fair question. I mean, I I have debunked. Um, I have debunked claims but uh, I, you know that that was the end result that wasn't the intention so mm-hmm. you know if if I investigate a claim and it turns out not to be true um it's been disproven or it's been debunked but you know that that wasn't <laughs> that that was just how it turned out to be so uh, you know that's that that's fair enough
2: well, well let's go with uh with ghost investigation because sure. so much of our audience uh, our paranormal investigators, what would be the difference between the way that you approach an investigation of a, of a ghost sighting as opposed to what you might have seen others do or, or what we see on uh, mainstream television?
0: Sure. Uh, there, there's quite a bit. In fact, I, um, I, I devote uh, all of Chapter 4 in my Scientific Paranormal Investigation book uh, to exactly this question. Um, And, in fact, on my website, radfordbooks.com, there's actually a free downloadable PDF. I think it's like a 16-page piece on the the top five ghost hunting mistakes. Uh, So that's available for free in case anyone wants to poke at it. Um, But there's a a couple ways. One of them is that um, I only use use methods and equipment that have been proven to work. And by that I mean, uh, you know, I don't use uh, EMF detectors because uh electromagnetic field uh, electromagnetic field detectors have never been proven to detect ghosts um, there are many, you know, people, People a lot of times people ghost hunters will, will adopt this equipment because they think they're supposed to or they see it on TV or whatever else or, you know, someone sends them a flyer or they see a, a web advertisement or something else that encourages them to buy these things. Um, and uh, there's nothing inherently wrong with that except for the fact that uh, there's no evidence at all that, that ghosts emit uh, or absorb or have anything to do with electromagnetic fields. Um, so that, that's one of the problems is that if you're using this equipment and you're thinking that you're actually detecting ghosts, uh, you're not. Um, and so the, the problem is that, that you, you need to question your assumptions. You have, to, you have to understand what is this equipment doing and is it really doing what I believe it's doing. So that would be one, one difference is that, um, is that the, the equipment and the gear that I, that I use um, are, are things that, that I, I know for a fact work. Um, and uh, another example would be uh not using psychics and uh using you know not using dowsing rods or anything you know uh, pendulums or anything else like that uh for exactly the same reason um, psychic powers and some you or your audience some of your audience members may disagree but uh, but the, the fact of the matter is that psychic powers have never been proven to exist and certainly not scientifically and so the, the question then becomes why would you use a method or a, a research um method or type uh, that, that has never been proven to work. Uh, and so I guess the, the biggest problem that I have with the ghost hunters and, and the taps crew and, and many ghost investigators that I meet is that is that in my in my opinion they're not taking it seriously. Um, it, it, it would be one thing if they if they were if they were taking it seriously and they really wanted to genuinely understand and they had a, a, a good basis and understanding of scientific methodologies and they go forward with it. But unfortunately, a lot of times when I talk to people, and, and I have you know some friends of mine who are ghost hunters. I don't I don't you know I, I'm actually on good terms with many of them. Mm-hmm. But um, but if they're going to ask me you know, what do you think about my methods, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to say. To be honest with you, I don't see, I don't see the the you know what you're doing is doing any good, and that's and let me just wrap up by saying that, um, I think the other thing that distinguishes my work is that I actually solve mysteries. Um, I've I've solved dozens and dozens of mysteries. In fact, there's many of them that are that are solved in in my book Scientific Parental Investigation and other places. So. If you look at the track record for many ghost hunters and many paranormal investigators and the task guys and whatever else, every now and then they solve a mystery, and they solve a case, but the majority of them um, are just sort of well, you know, we investigated this place and we got, you know, we got an orb photo, we have EVP, and at the end of the investigation, there's no real answer. It's just sort of well. Yeah, I don't know. We got to, or we got to, and, and there's no there's no conclusive answer. But the investigations that I do, um, the the certainly ones I've done so far, uh, there is a an actual definitive answer, and that's certainly the case with the chupacabra. Uh, it is the the, quite, the the mystery is solved, and that's one thing that I think distinguishes my work from many other people.
2: Well, let's take a step back here a little bit on the, on the ghost investigation side of things. I mean, I know a number of investigators who have spent the time and devoted the, the time and efforts to learn how to properly use the equipment. I mean, a lot of people will buy something because they see it used on a television show Mm -hmm. and say, oh, I've got to have, you know, this or I've got to have that. Uh, but I know a number of people have taken the time to actually learn, you know, how to use it properly, what it means when they use it and what, what the different fluctuations mean. Mm -hmm. My question to you is, you, you said that, there hasn't been any proof that if there are ghosts that they use electromagnetic field. But right. then how do you explain the electromagnetic field anomalies that often happen associated uh, alongside places that have ghost reports?
0: Well, uh, the, I think that the better question is how do we know that they are ghosts?
1: How do we know they're not?
0: Well, how, do we, how do we know they're not elves or gremlins or dragons? We don't. Right. Is, but exactly. all it 's so-
1: just data that, that you use in... In the process of measuring what you're doing, it's just one more data point. It isn't a proof or a disproof. It's just a, a data point that helps add to your summation at the
0: end. So, what's the point in using equipment that won't prove or disprove anything?
1: Just to help you guide along the way. Are you heading in the right or wrong direction? But
0: if if, if the if the equipment that you're using, as you just said, can't tell you one way or the other, what's the point?
1: What's the point of doing this? All? At all period, but if you're going to do something, at least take some sort of measurements along the way.
0: Oh, no, no, I would agree with you. I think I think the problem is that, and again, I, I talk about this in the book, is that is that most of the investigators that I see, they have no good understanding of scientific and statistical methodologies, and so they'll go into a, uh, a haunted house and they'll take measurements and they'll be like, "Oh my God, we're going to take measurements here and there," and they're under the the illusion that that if they take a couple measurements, supposedly before the ghost investigation or before the ghost hunt, and they write these down, uh, that somehow that's that's enough data points uh, to compare an anomaly. And it's not. Um, I mean, you would need to go to a given haunted location uh, for weeks or possibly months ahead of time to record... Uh, to, to record enough data points to get a reliable baseline. And I have yet to find a, an investigator that's doing that.
1: Well, you just have, but that's beside the point. <laughs> uh, I've been doing this 25 years. Uh, and how, how's your results? Uh, not bad. You know, I work as an analytical chemist in, uh, during the day and have for the past 20 years. How many cases have you solved? solved yes. you don't really solve these
0: i, I solve them <laughs> absolutely i have solved plenty of cases
1: i mean you you you, you can uncover uh, erroneous results or you know things that are maybe causing something else but the, the other cases where there are no logical explanations i've i've had stuff happen with t- at least 20 other people standing right there with no physical reason that i can understand why this happened why did this object all of a sudden levitate through the middle of the room stop hover and then continue on without anybody touching it
0: so let me just make sure i understand So you're saying that because you don't understand it it's unexplainable uh
1: in the terms of physics i was taught
0: okay so do you do you do you use that same logic elsewhere where if some if you encounter something that you personally don't understand you assume that it's it's paranormal
1: I, I assume that it's something I don't understand. I don't. I'm not going to say that it's. Um, it, it, it's. I'm not going to make up a scientific explanation for it if I don't know what it is. That's what I'm saying.
0: Well, right. I mean, I, I I encounter things all the time that I don't fully understand, but I don't. I don't assume that I know everything, and that if it were explainable, that I would know how to, how to explain it. All
1: right, but th- my point is, you got to take. Readings and, uh, I go to places continuously and take readings and, and to establish what I would feel to be a norm. Now, if people are taking the stance that a ghost, uh, for lack of a better term, is a disembodied soul, a soul being energy and energy can neither be created nor destroyed, only changed as we know or have been taught, they, then energy should affect various fields electromagnetically and this is the theory of why people use uh, EM, emf meters
0: right well why, why are you choosing that particular definition of ghost
1: uh, i'm saying that's generally the most popular
0: sure uh that but just because something's popular doesn't mean it's valid i mean at uh, one point you know as i'm sure you would admit just because most people think something is true doesn't mean it's true right uh correct right so so are you just arbitrarily choosing one particular definition of ghost, or, or do, you, do you examine other ones?
1: But oh, I, I examine them all. I, I take all of them. I'm just using this particular point as to why most people use an EMF meter because this is what they thought.
2: And that also seems to be what your evidence that you've gathered over the course of your 25 years seems to point towards.
1: Yeah, there's something interacting with the field. Uh, I mean, I, I, I have what it is, I, I can't exactly say yet. You know, one way or another.
2: I kind of follow the same school of thought of, you know, the energy field that is kind of holding uh, some sort of form. I don't believe in the idea of a soul necessarily, um, but I do believe that there's an energy network within an organic human body that needs to dissipate out Mm -hmm. upon death, and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it holds that form, and I'm still trying to figure out why it holds an intelligence if it does.
0: Right, and that's exactly one of the questions that I would have is, is you know if people are telling me that if someone presents me with an, with an EVP, uh, my question is how how exactly are you claiming that this ghost can create a voice? Uh, the only way that we know that, that voices, can be, uh, voices can be created is through physical mechanisms, you know, uh, vocal cords and lips and tongues and things like that. And presumably ghosts don't have those. And so I have yet to have anyone who's knowledgeable about the subject explain to me how exactly a disembodied spirit could, could have a voice.
2: But, I mean, it's also the, the same idea, too, that, uh, like Moni said, with the idea of the popular... Theory, you know, going by, it's become so convoluted in how people define things now mm-hmm. uh, that we have basically just an amalgamation of uh, forty-five different approaches to how to investigate the paranormal. That we don't really know which theory or which, uh, you know, which particular school of thought we're heading toward anymore.
0: No, I, I would agree with that. I mean, in fact, you know, I think that that's I think that's absolutely true. And and you mean know, this is this is to my mind is one of the one of the inherent flaws. In the way that a lot of the investigation is being conducted, is that I mean, I can give you a half dozen different definitions of ghosts that that I've, I've encountered uh, over the years. Some people think they're telepathic projections. Some people think that they're uh, spirits. I mean, soul. I mean, there's all sorts of different ideas. The problem is that without hard evidence pointing in one direction or another, one one theory or one assumption is as good as the next, and so that doesn't give you a very good basis upon which to do experiments investigation.
2: I mean, it, there's always that old standby that people will fall back on too, where, well, we can't use the scientific method to explain it because it doesn't fit our science.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't buy that. Um, I, I think that, you know, for example, if you're going to if you're going to tell me that, then the question is, well. Why then allegedly do uh, do ghosts appear on on film on, on videos and uh, and in in recordings i mean if you can 't have it both ways you can 't mm-hmm. say that it's the ghosts are at the same time both beyond our science and beyond our senses, and yet they they are recorded they're experienced in a variety of ways i mean it, it can 't be both
2: is it possible though that uh, as we get more i, I guess i don 't want to say more scientific Data, because, like you said, you know if it 's not accumulated in, in what science generally agrees upon then it 's not considered scientific data. Mm-hmm. but as we have more of these i don 't want to name anything in particular, but more of these devices mm-hmm. that people are out using it, do you think that that 's kind of just convoluting the fact that there's now that there 's this supposed device that 'll do this it 's going to make people stand by shoddy evidence even more because they captured it with something they paid three or four hundred dollars for
0: you mean like frank 's box?
2: Um, well, no, Frank's box, you know, you can get those for a lot cheaper. <laughs> but, you know, when when people go out and spend, you know, $10,000 on a thermal imaging <laughs> camera because right. they saw it on Ghost Hunters, uh, that means that every little hot spot on there has to be paranormal activity, right, because you've got to get your money's worth.
0: Well, that, you're, you're exactly right, and that's, that's one of the problems that I have. And, I mean, look, this, this, is, this, is, this sort of gets back to, I think, one of the fundamental pro- problems, which is that is that and you all may disagree but my position is that the evidence for ghosts has not gotten any better um, over the last uh, decades and, and years. I mean, people have been searching for ghosts, depending on how you want to in- interpret the, the word searching, for, for well over 100 years. I mean, the Victorians he ha- held seances and did all sorts of SPR stuff. So, you know, people have been looking for ghosts for a long, long, long time now. And the problem is that even with all the new technology, even with all the 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 all the gadgets and the, the FLIR cameras and all the sort of stuff, the evidence is not getting any better. And you would expect that if these things are really out there, and if improved technology translated into improved results, that we would be closer, we, you know, we, we, you and I would be able to say, this is what we know about ghosts that we didn't know last month or 10 years ago or 20 years ago. But there is, there is no fact that we know. There is not a single, you know, knowledge point or data point or fact that we can all say, well, you know, we now know that ghosts do X or they have this characteristic. And so... It, it seems to me at some point you have to sort of take a step back and say, why is that? Why is it that with so many ghost hunters and so much gear and so much equipment and so many alleged hauntings and whatever else, why isn't, why isn't the accumulated evidence getting any better?
2: Well, we're getting a flurry of uh, activity happening in the chat room on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com, but uh, I can't keep up with everything that everybody's asking uh, during the course <laughs> of the conversation, so we invite you to call in uh, 508-996-0500 one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty. Uh and you can also email questions SpookyCrew at spooky dot com. But uh feel free to jump in the discussion folks because uh obviously uh Ben is making some points that you may or may not agree with uh, but remember to keep an open mind though too because if you don't then you're just as cynical as you would accuse a, a quote unquote skeptic of being as well. So uh, one of the things that uh is fascinating to me about modern ghost hunting is the fact that people are so willing to turn their back on psychics or mediums uh, going along on an investigation But they'll just as easily pick up a device like a Frank's box, which is essentially just an electronic version of the same thing. Uh, (laughs) what if that human element is key to having the, the paranormal activity occur, whether it be, you know, some sort of empathetic wave that it gives to the paranormal, or whether it be that it's merely a projection of the person investigating themselves?
0: That's a great question, and uh, and who knows? I mean, if if ghosts are real, and if if they are the the you know the spirits of the departed, um, then yeah, it, it's I guess it's logical to say that you know maybe maybe you have to have a, a human element in there. Uh You know that you can't just. You, you can't just you know put put a a uh, you know a video camera in a place and come back you know the next day and and, and find stuff. Um, that yeah. could certainly be. Uh, I guess the 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 problem that you encounter, of course, is that anytime there's the human element, there is the possibility and indeed the probability. Of uh, of interpretation problems, and you know, someone saying, "Are oh, you listening to EVP?" is like, meh, did you hear that? It's Mary. No, it's Larry. It's Harry. Mm-hmm. It's you know, it's it's your your you know your your back is Harry. I mean, come on, I've I've heard so many bad quality EVPs in my life. That I mean, at some point, you have to recognize that so much of the stuff is fil- is filtered through very very biased people's perceptions and i don't don't mean biased in terms of being necessarily bad or stupid just we all have our inherent perceptions and and you know and we see the world through certain uh, certain prisms, and it's it's a well known you know, psychological fact that people will, um, if, you're, if you you give something someone the context for a haunting, uh, oftentimes they will in fact interpret uh, ordinary mundane um, uh, events uh, within that context and believe them to be ghosts.
2: You mentioned that you've heard so many bad quality EVPs. Have you heard good quality EVPs?
0: Uh, I've heard. <laughs> I've heard better quality ones, uh, it depends on what you, what you mean by quality. If you mean quality of evidence, I haven't heard any real great ones. I'm waiting to hear a good one, uh, that sort of actually gives, uh, verifiable information that neither the, the neither the, the person that took the, neither um, the, the, the person that's listening to it or the person that took it has. For example, contacting the spirit of uh, you know, say Natalie Holloway, if she's dead, and saying, Natalie Holloway, where are you buried? What happened to you? And having that information being translated to, to a person and going and say, oh, my God, the, 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 the this ghost told us exactly where this was. There's no other explanation for this sort of thing.
2: But there have been cases of that. There have been instances of that where uh, it has led to other information. I mean, maybe it just hasn't come across your radar, but uh, I've heard... Plenty of reports. Uh, I mean, and I don't want to go back to the psychic thing, but too. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many times have law enforcement used psychics and actually done it to uh, to good success?
0: Well, it, it's funny you should ask that. I I've actually investigated psychic detectives quite a bit. In fact, uh, in in my book uh, Scientific Paranormal Investigation, I tackled uh, what was presented to me as the best case ever of psychic uh, detectives. And I uh, I did a, I spent 18 months researching that case, and um, it, uh, I, I don't have time to go into the whole It didn't turn out to be quite so true.
2: Well, I mean, I can say f- uh, from personal experience, and I can't really say much about it, but uh, we had an instance where uh, information was passed on to us uh, that came from supposedly the other side, and when it was presented to the uh, police department, it was kind of like one of those, "Hey, how would you guys know about
1: that?" Yeah, <laughs> we'll take I, this I, over I, from here. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I would, I would love to
0: hear the, story, the the case. I mean, honestly, I, I'm, I'm, I'm open minded about it, and um, I would either, either, uh, you know, send me an email out, um, after the show. I, I would be happy to uh, look into that. It sounds interesting. Sure,
2: I'll have Moniz handle that because he has all the details. All right, well, we have a call on the line, so let's go to the phones. Again, if you want to call in, 508-996-0500, 1-877-996-1420 are the numbers. Uh, good evening. You are on Spooky South Coast with our guest, Ben Radford. How you doing?
0: And that's Ben. How you doing, guys?
2: All right, we are spectacular.
0: Oh, I'm glad to hear that. How's it going, Ben? Hey there. Spooktacular. It was great to hear it tonight. Actually, you know what? I'm a critical thinker, and I really enjoyed listening to you, and... um just had one really quick question. Mm -hmm. Um, You were talking about using the meters and stuff like that. Um, When it comes to, like, ghosts and stuff like that and what people are perceiving as ghosts, um, do you think there's, like, different ways we can kind of go after this? Like, maybe when people are using, I don't know, the uh, magnetic field meters and stuff like that, you know, uh, it, using that and going after that or EVP. Should we be specializing in trying to figure out one thing versus trying to group it all into one big thing? Yeah, no, that, that's a great question, and I think that uh, you know I, I have quite a few ideas in terms of how to make how to bring more science to ghost investigation. Um, I think the, the the fundamental thing is that is that people need to uh, to decide what characteristics they believe ghosts have. Um, and that's very important because if you're investigating something, whether you're a scientist or a homicide detective or anything else, if you're going to say I'm trying to understand X, by definition you need to understand what are the characteristics of X. What you know, what distinguishes it from Y or Z. And so, um, so it seems to me the way the, the one of the best way to go about it would be to decide for yourself. You know, this is what I believe ghosts are, um, and you know they have these characteristics. And for example, you know, one of the main themes over the last uh, decade or so is, has been that ghosts, uh, as as you know, as we talked about before, uh, give off electromagnetic field and electromagnetic waves. Well, if that's true, uh, then there there should you know then then EMF detectors are in fact the correct. Uh, the correct equipment and gear for that. The problem is that uh, so far to date, and I'm, I'm sure some of you would disagree, but so far there's not good evidence they, in fact, do give off uh, you, you know electromagnetic fields, and just because you have an anomaly, just because you you have something that you can't explain or that you you think is unusual for the area, th- does not mean it's a ghost. Uh, so that that's one of the things is trying to determine, you know, wh- you know what what characteristics are you nailing down as a ghost, and and if you if, after you investigate that, um, then and you determine that you know yes, the, then you can devise tests and equipment to use for that, and, and if later on those tests turn out to be negative and you're not getting any information, then you say, okay, well, maybe ghost is an X, maybe, maybe it has these characteristics, and then you, then you move on to the next one, but at least if you're doing that, then you're going about it methodically, and you're, you're covering all the bases instead of this sort of wild, wild west, you know, who knows what the hell a ghost is, and you're, you're just basically shooting in the dark. No. Yep. Right. Good point. Thank you.
2: Alright, well thank you for calling in. Alright, if anybody else would like to call in, again the numbers one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty. Uh five oh eight nine nine six zero five hundred are the numbers and uh I do want to mention uh b- before we let you go, Ben, uh Macos is actually looking at your site here uh on the computer here in the studio and uh your your game playing gods, it looks like it's a blast. <laughs>
0: Yeah, thing. It's, uh, <laughs> every now and then, so, yeah, that's, uh, it's the, uh, it's the world's, uh, what I call it, the, the world's, uh, the, the board game of divine domination. It's the, basically the world's first, uh, board game of religious warfare. Um, and so a, as you can imagine, Target wasn't going to touch it, but it's, um, <laughs> it's, uh, it actually is a, is a fun game, whether, whether you're a skeptic or believer.
2: Well, religious warfare is, should really be done in board game format. I think the world would be a much happier and more peaceful place if that was the way that it was handled.
0: Exactly. That was, that was the, the I'm glad you got the, the, uh, I'm glad you got the satire there. That was exactly <laughs> my point is that if everybody would just leave each other alone, accept each other, and, you know, quit killing each other for, for, you know, other people's religions, I just, you know, I just get tired of it. Just live and let live and, you know, be good to each other and, and go hunt for ghosts.
2: There you go. Now, the game itself now is it uh is it one of those, you know, kind of like a, a Warcraft type game or one of those games where it's, you know, really involved or is it just a typical board game?
0: Uh it's sort of halfway between Risk and uh and uh and and maybe Monopoly or something. It's it's uh it's uh it's 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 just it's strictly a board game. Um, I haven't yet developed anything in terms of you know being a, an online game or anything else like that it's i I purposely when I was designing the game, I wanted it to go sort of old school because you know I grew up playing Dungeons and dragons and, and risk and and that sort of things and so I enjoyed the um the strategy games and uh, so it's uh again I would say it's about the same complexity level as risk uh, but of course you get to be you know Buddha with a chain gun so that uh, that adds to awesome, it
2: yeah. I mean, that just shows my own ignorance about a lot of these games. I said Warcraft, but I meant Warhammer. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. So,
2: it, <laughs> But, uh, you know, I just remember going into the comic book shop and seeing all these guys playing that and saying, I have no idea what they're doing. Let <laughs> I me mean, just get my Spider-Man and go home. Exactly. But exactly. Uh, it does look like a lot of fun. It is available through your website, radfordbooks.com, uh, if people want to pick that up, as, as well as your books. Uh, what, and, again, in the time that we have left, we have about ten minutes left, and I, I do want to kind of get back into a little bit more about Uh, the idea of one of the topics of your books, Media Myth Makers. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's something that is a a pet topic here on Spooky South Coast, especially with Chris Balzano, our content director, uh, is the way that the the media shapes our opinions and our beliefs of things. Uh, Just talk a little bit about that book and and, and basically what you dove into there.
0: Yeah, that was actually the, uh, I think that was 2003, if I remember right, or 2005, and um, you know I had always grown up in a family of journalists and I had always been critical of the news media and I just I had just seen so much so much crap out there um, and I finally got disgusted with it and the the subtitle of the book is how journalists activists and advertisers mislead us and so uh, I wanted to sort of uh, I wanted to sort of take a take a hammer to a lot of the uh, the BS that we see uh, everything from sensationalized media um, media stories uh, I talk about uh, well, like for example when Princess Diana died uh, and just like you know just days and hours and weeks of coverage about it uh, and much to the detriment of of real legitimate news stories I mean I. I felt bad for Diana myself, and lots of people did, but it, just, it was just so so incommensurate with uh, with the real problems in the world. And so I talk about everything from like emotional legislation, for example, and and uh, the ways in which uh, the the news media do do a job of basically scaring the public um, on a wide variety of things, everything from. Uh, dr- drug laws to, uh, the, 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 the predator panic, for example, the idea that sex offenders are behind every tree and they're, they're attacking kids left, right, and center. Well, in fact, if you look at the statistics, um actually, uh, the, the, uh, the, the main people that attack children, both physically and sexually, are, um are parents and caregivers. It's not, it's not, you know, some, some unknown stranger down the, down the road in a trench coat. It's somebody the child knows. Um, and the family knows, and so in cases like that, uh, the real problem is that is that the the nation's uh, fears and concerns are being misplaced, uh, and so you, everyone's like, "Oh my God, look over here and look at this big problem," and it, it certainly is a problem. I mean, there, there is a you know, it, it does happen, but it but the vast majority of these crimes, particularly against children. Uh, are committed uh, again by, by uh, parents and friends of and the family and, and most people don't realize that and so they put all this time and attention and concern into into areas that really aren't helping people and so I, I, I go into um, the Columbine story nine eleven, 11 hoaxed authors, news bias and things like that
2: well as we know fear sells and it's pretty much the only thing left that's a guaranteed sell well yeah, that, true. that and sex
0: <laughs> well there you go <laughs>
2: But uh, and I'm sure since you've written that book, uh, things have only gotten worse because the idea of what is the media has been uh, kind of crumbled even more with not only the death of my business, the newspaper business, so, mm-hmm. which is uh, kind of on life support now, but also the idea that you know the, the regular old mastheads are no longer news, and now the news comes from things like TMZ and Radar Online.
0: Right. Exactly, and that's and that's one of the interesting things about the sort of democratization of news. Uh, where you have some of the old guard, you know, the, the, what used to be the, the credible, um... you know, the big three or big four networks. Uh, and then that sort of phased into this, you know, 24 hour news cycle with, with CNN and MSNBC and these other things. And of course, with the emergence of the internet. Um and he, he, it's tempting to sort of say oh my god isn't this horrible and, and in, many, in many ways it is bad i mean there there's no denying that uh... especially with the dearth of newspapers um, you know one of the great things about newspapers is they actually did investigation they had full-time staff writers and journalists who did investigative work and um and with the demise of newspapers and they're not totally gone and i'm, I'm pleased to say I, I do subscribe to the new york times and the, the local paper as well uh, so I do my bit to support, um, but the, the, a lot of that is just um, is just lost in, in in today's news cycle. Everything is you know trying to be there. You know the, the goal is not to get things right, is to get there first and to put the story out. And if oh by the way later on we realize that half of the news story was wrong, well at least we got there first. And I I, I don't like that at all.
2: And of course that you know that media is now influenced. Uh... The paranormal community because they've basically taken what was once a small pursuit from a small segment of the population and and basically turned it into, you know, the new reality. You know, basically everybody wanted to be on Temptation Island and Survivor, you know, 10 years ago, and now they all want to be ghost hunters.
0: You're exactly right, and that's you know that, that that's 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 a very good point. And I uh, I uh, I keep meaning to write an article about the influence of uh, the Ghost Hunters TV show, uh, and I I don't think I'm going to surprise anybody by saying I'm not real impressed with it. Um, but uh, it, it it's just remarkable uh, how much uh, how much they've influenced you know ghost hunting and and, and paranormal investigation. Uh, I think not for the better, but you know I'm sure I'm sure others would disagree. Uh, but it's whether you you know part of the problem is that I've I've actually um, I've actually encountered many cases where um, where these TV shows have actually harmed people uh, I did a couple investigations where uh, the, the family would, they did not have a ghost they, they clearly did not have a ghost but part of the reason they believe they did have a ghost is because they're like well I saw this on TV I, I saw an episode and they, they had you know these voices and they had these things mm-hmm. and they were very very clearly being influenced uh, by, by the Ghost Hunters TV show and other ones like it. And it just made me sick because, uh, you know, they, they did not have a ghost, and I could prove to them they didn't have a ghost, but they're like, well, no, I'm convinced I saw it on TV. And I think the, the, the TAPS crew, uh, they, I think they've actually done quite a bit more damage than, than people realize. And a lot of times I've actually had to go and clean up their mess and and fix things and, and fix people that have been damaged through their their, their misinformation about ghosts.
2: Well, it's, uh, it's kind of a double-edged sword, you know. In a, in a way, it's brought more attention to the, to the subject of the paranormal. It's gotten people more willing to talk about it, more interested in it. Uh, but at the same time, it's also created a, a pseudoscience around it. Uh, maybe the cream will rise to the top. And just do me a favor, Ben. Don't, I mean, and I'm sure you're, you're smart enough that you understand this too, but you can't base, uh, somebody's, uh, investigations on what they do for a television camera either because sometimes you know the the paycheck and the the lure of the spotlight uh is enough to make you Kind of put your credibility on hold for a little while. Absolutely, while they're willing to cut you a check.
0: No, absolutely, and I, I agree with that. And you know, it's uh, again, I, I, I sort of come at it from both criticizing the media, <laughs> which, which I do on a regular basis, and of course, I did in my book, "Media Mythmakers," and also being on the investigation side of things. So you're absolutely right. It's it's not fair to just sort of say, well, you know, this is this is pure you know pseudo scientific BS because it's on TV, uh, because you know, uh, we, we, as we first you know, began by talking about, you know, there's, there are demands, uh, the TV puts on people and even the best intended you know, people, uh, and TV can, can pervert that and, uh, turn it into a circus. And it, that's unfortunate.
2: All right. Thank you for joining us. Ben Radford, your, his website is radfordbooks.com. If you want to check out some of his titles, including the latest tracking the Chupacabra, you can get them all there. And they're in the spooky store at spookysouthcoast.com as well. Ben, hopefully you can come back and join us again. You can be our go-to skeptic
0: i w- I would love to i I enjoy talking to you guys and it's uh it really is a pleasure to talk to people who who are knowledgeable about it who I don't necessarily agree with but that are willing to to engage in dialogue and and just talk i mean again I, I think ultimately I think we're all on the same page I think that we're all looking for the same thing we're looking for for truth behind it, and we just may approach it from from different ways but you know i think I think it's all good.
2: And who knows, maybe sometime we'll do an a off-the-air podcast only where we can uh, all drink and swear at each other, too.
0: Awesome. That'd be great.
2: <laughs> all right. Thank you. Have a great night.
0: You too. Bye.
2: Bye-bye. All right. That does it for this week's show. Next week, I won't be here, but uh, Matt Moniz will be here. And we're trying to get Chris Balzano to step into the big chair, even though it'll be, you know, virtually, but we're going to try to get him to host the show, because uh, we have a couple of authors coming on to talk about fictional books that actually have some topics that hit close to home, so uh, stay tuned, that'll be on at regular time next week, uh, I'll be at the Celtics game, but I'll try to check in if I can, so if there's no spooky TV going on, or if, uh, if there's anything strange, you know, the chat room will still be there, and you can still use it, so uh, until then, for Matt Moniz, for Matt Costa, for Chris Balzano, I'm Tim Weisberg, and we want you all to stay spooktacular.